everyone, and welcome to another ARD podcast. My name is Caroline Osbert, and I'm a social media advisor for Annals of the Rheumatic Diseases and a research group leader at the Center of Experimental Rheumatology at the University Hospital in Zurich, Switzerland. Today, I'm here with Marie-Elise Trichetet from Bordeaux, and she's the last author of the study Transforming Growth Factor Beta Promotes Low Interleukin 10 Producing ILC2 with Profibrotic Ability involved in skin fibrosis in systemic sclerosis. And this study was published in the Annals of the Rheumatic Diseases last year. Marie-Elise, welcome to the podcast and thanks a lot for agreeing to talk about your study with us. Could you maybe first just introduce yourself a bit and tell us about your general research interests? Thank you very much for the invitation, Karin. Uh, my name is Marie-Lise Truchotet, and I'm a rheumatologist at the Bordeaux uh, University Hospital, also in a reference center. In parallel to my clinical activities, I carry out uh, translational research in immunology uh, focused on inflammation and fibrosis. It all started during my thesis in 2010 in uh, Geneva with Professor Carlo Chizzolini, who encouraged me to consider systemic sclerosis as an exciting study model on this subject. Um, I'm now conducting my own research in uh, immunoconcept uh, laboratory at the University of Bordeaux. And I co-lead a group with my immunologist colleague, Cecil Bord, uh, within a team whose main theme is the study of the mechanisms uh, underlying uh, autoimmunity and inflammation. Thanks a lot. Very interesting. And in this particular study that we are talking about, uh, you focused on the analysis of this specific uh, subtype of innate immune cells, the innate lymphoid cells or ILCs, and the potential role they have in fibrosis in SSC. So what exactly did you find in this study? Yes, so our global objective in this paper um, was to explore the phenotypic and functional heterogeneity of innate lymphoid cells type 2 in skin fibrosis within systemic sclerosis. So we used uh, blood samples and skin biopsies from healthy donors uh, or patients with systemic sclerosis and analyzed them by immunostaining techniques. The fibrotic role of uh, sorted ILC2 was also studied in vitro under my fibroblast directly and further explored by transcriptomic approach. Finally, we assessed our findings in vivo in a mouse model of systemic sclerosis. Basically, we found that ILC2 numbers were increased in the skin of patients with systemic sclerosis and correlated with the extent of skin fibrosis. We observed that uh, in systemic sclerosis uh, skin, KLRG1 negative uh, ILC2, specific ILC2, also named as natural ILC2 in the literature, were dominating over KLRG1 positive ILC2, also named as inflammatory ILC2. So how could we reproduce these findings in vitro? Well, very interestingly, we found that only TGF beta in our hands could favor the expansion in vitro of KLRG1 negative ILC2. Our first thought was that ILC2s became even greater producers of IL13 after co-incubation with TGF beta, but their production, although still high, was not different before and after co-culture. So we had to explore another way. And uh, when deciphering what were the most important differences between ILC2 before and after TGF-beta co-culture, we found a major decrease of their production of interleukin-10. 
Importantly, we demonstrated that this decrease of IL-10 production regulates negatively collagen production by uh, dermal fibroblasts. TGF-beta-stimulated ILC2 also increased myofibroblast differentiation. We have shown for the first time in humans that these so-called natural ILC2s can be induced by TGF-beta and that they have a pro-fibrotic effect via the reduction of IL-10 secretion. Finally, we recapitulated the increase of ILC2s in skin fibrosis induced by HOCL in mice and tested a combined uh, treatment consisting in decrease in TGF-beta and increase in IL-10 in the meantime. Our therapeutic intervention combined pyrfenidone to decrease TGF-beta with the administration of IL-10 and succeeded in reducing the numbers of skin infiltrating ILC2s, enhancing their expression of KLRG1 and strongly alleviating skin fibrosis, the most important. In a word, uh, we finally deciphered a novel role for natural ILC2s and highlighted their interrelationship with TGF-beta and IL-10 in the development of skin fibrosis, hoping to have opened up new therapeutic approaches in systemic sclerosis. Yes, very nice. I think uh, it was very impressively how you showed that these innate lymphoid cells can really play this role in systemic sclerosis because, of course, TGF-beta was long time known to have a role and also IL-10 level. And now to have this combination that you know that TGF-beta can actually via this specific subtype of the innate lymphoid cells can regulate these profibrotic activities. I think that's really the novelty and the beauty of your studies. So you were saying you were looking at uh, mainly at these ILC2s, so the specific subtype of innate lymphoid cells. Can you tell us a bit more about innate lymphoid cells or ILC2s? So have they been implicated in fibrosis or in SSC before? The answer is yes in both cases. Innate lymphoid cells are cells that patrol environmental interfaces to defend against infection and protect barrier integrity. And they have recently emerged as potential effectors in some inflammatory or fibrotic diseases. Um, their cytokine production and transcription factor expression allows the identification of three main distinct subsets. Type 1 ILCs that share similarities with TH1 lymphocytes in terms of cytokines uh, produced and uh, transcription factors expressed. The same can be said for ILC2 with type 2 lymphocytes, ILC3 with uh, TH17. But especially GETA3 expressing uh, ILC2s, which are dependent on T-mixtromal lymphopoietin, IL25 and IL33 release IL5 and very, very large amount of IL13. And as you know, IL13 is a cytokine that has already been widely implicated in fibrosis. And this is one of the reasons why scientists have started to focus on ILC2 in fibrotic processes. So the role of ILC2 was first highlighted in allergic reactions, in the mediation with IL5, for example. But more recently, marine studies have shown the role of ILC2s in hepatic and pulmonary fibrosis, with precisely a major effect of IL13 production. Most of these studies have been conducted in mice, with little or no evidence of the relevance of these cells to fibrosis in humans. The role in chronic lung inflammation was also most extensively explored via uh, the, the studies conducted in asthma. 
In 2014, Hans et al. described first evidence of the role of uh, IL-25 and ILC-2 in pulmonary fibrosis in murine models, paving the first road of uh, targeting IL-25 and ILC-2s for the treatment of human fibrotic diseases. Now, ILCs are regularly considered as important players uh, in the processes underlying the transition from chronic inflammation to fibrosis in various organs, ranging from the kidney, uh, uterus very uh, recently, or liver. What is interesting in, is that the mechanisms involved beyond ILC2s are different depending on the circumstances. Sometimes it's IL-13, as I said, uh, that is implicated, but other times it's cytokines involved in the generation of ILC2s, such as IL-33 or IL-25. And that heterogeneity of this literature and the fact that most of the results already obtained were in mice encouraged us to explore this pathway further via the prism of systemic sclerosis. Interestingly, in the context of systemic sclerosis, TGF-beta, as you said, is altogether another important profibotic factor, but also an essential cytokine for the development of ILC2, suggesting a Finally, a potential new pathway here. So when we started this work, uh, the data were very poor in systemic sclerosis model at the beginning. A team in 2016 had shown that specifically um, CD4 positive I, uh, type 1 ILCs subgroup was increased in systemic sclerosis. In the very same paper, they also showed that neither ILC3 nor ILC2 were increased in scleroderma. But their work was very interesting, but mainly focused in the, this uh, ILC1 population, which we thought was less likely to be directly involved in fibrosis. And moreover, the experiments were carried out exclusively on peripheral blood and never in the target organ of the disease. In that very same year, Another team focused on ILC2, this time in systemic sclerosis. And in contrast to the previous team, they showed that ILC2s were increased in the peripheral blood. So you know the literature is not uh, so straight. They also did a histological analysis of the dermis of the patients and showed that ILC2s were increased in this tissue. This is a major piece of information because it's uh, the increase in the target tissue provided really new arguments for our research. And we, after that, then refined the stainings of ILCs with uh, ILC specialists and were able to provide confirmation of the observation in the tissue, as well as, as I, I mentioned earlier, further functional and mechanistic data. Mm -hmm. That shows also very nicely that it's important to choose the right subtype you measure and the right tissue you measure, because it might really give you different results. But it also shows that ILC2 probably are key regulators in fibrosis also in, in other organs, maybe via different pathways, maybe with similar pathways. But to make things a bit more complicated, what you also mentioned, there are not only one type of ILC2s, there are actually subtypes. And, and you looked at 
two subpopulations, uh, whereas one uh, carries uh, high levels of KLRG1, which is the killer cell lectin-like receptor G1, and the other one is rather a KLRG1 low subpopulation. So maybe you can just go a bit further into the subpopulations. How do they differ and what drives their differentiation? This is a complicated but very interesting question. Uh, first of all, a, a word about KLRG1. So KLRG1 stands for killer cell uh, lectin-like receptor subfamily G number one. Uh, so this family, killer uh, cell lectin-like receptor, is a group of transmembrane proteins preferentially expressed uh, in NK cells, and that's why they were known before, but is also expressed on CD8. And as you know uh, now, uh, as more recently shown, uh, on ILC2s. So the ligands uh, of KLRG1 are E-cadherin and N-cadherin. KLRG1 is known to be a lymphocyte co-inhibitory, if you prefer an immune checkpoint inhibitor. KLRG1 was first described as a classical ILC2 uh, marker, a general marker for ILC2. But as the literature has grown, uh, two phenomena have become quite clear concerning ILCs. Firstly, their extreme plasticity depending on environmental conditions and the existence of numerous subgroups within the cell subtypes themselves with different functions. As of 2015, the existence of an inflammatory ILC2 population was reported, expressing very high level of KLRG1. These cells were thought to be functionally different, and at this time, the function was shown to be these cells were able to secrete IL-17. On our side, we showed for the first time that TGF-beta was able to transform inflammatory ILC2 into natural ILC2, so the counterpart of inflammatory ILC2 with high KLRG1 is natural ILC2 with low uh, KLRG1. And what we observed is that their main functional difference was not, uh, we don't find uh, the secretion of IL-17, but was actually, as suggested importantly by another study published in Nature Immunology in 2021, their capacity to secrete IL-10 or not. Yeah, and thus, of course, the IL-10 production is also the one that you probably found to be crucial then at the end for the fibrotic activity. But you said before that there might be important differences between organs. So do you think there is a specific role of this in skin fibrosis because you looked mainly in skin? Or did you have indication that the same pathways could be active in SSC patients in the lungs or in the gastrointestinal tract? So I'm not sure whether similar mechanisms are at play in other organs. What I can say is that not all ILCs are present in the same proportions in different organs. For example, in the blood, ILC1s are in the majority, whereas in the skin, ILC2s are highly represented. The ILC3s, which are very common in the digestive tract, are practically absent from the skin. ILC2s also appear to be important in the lungs, there is some literature, and have been widely implicated in allergic phenomena. These organ-dependent studies seem to me to be very important to carry out. ILCs are largely resident, and the environment plays a major role in their differentiation, 
and therefore their function, we can imagine. It is therefore uh, crucial to remain very modest about the systemic effect of our findings on these cells. We have made it clear that so far our results apply to the skin and to skin sclerosis only. Yeah, that's really interesting. So actually that you find this high amount of the RLC2 in the skin. So you think they differentiate there in the skin or they are attracted to the skin specifically? And if that's the case in SSC, do you think this is an early phenomenon in disease or this is something that during the course of disease just expands uh, this RLC2 population in the skin? So this is a, an excellent question. In our paper, we observed less ILC in the blood and more in the skin in systemic sclerosis patients. So this could uh, support a cell migration, indeed. However, the classic surface markers of migration were not particularly increased, notably uh, cutaneous lymphocyte-associated antigen, CLA, in systemic sclerosis patients. CCR10 and CCR4 receptors often associated with uh, cutaneous migration were also not significantly different in the blood of systemic sclerosis patients. So after that, we even wondered whether cutaneous ILCs were not the result of local proliferation of a resident ILC stimulated by a specific microenvironment. However, this question uh, remains very open and the migration markers used are those known from the study on T lymphocytes. The system probably needs to be redefined for ILCs that function most differently. In other conditions, it has been shown that the local pulmonary uh, milieu at inflammatory tissue uh, sites could not only determine the activation status of uh, lung infiltrating ILC2s, but could also influence their motility and migratory uh, behavior. Some data collected in recent uh, murine and, and human studies uh, argued finally against the former concept of a very strict tissue residency of innate lymphoid cells, and maybe instead pointed to uh, a context-dependent homing capacity of peripheral blood ILC precursors. But the markers are not very uh, evident and, and found. So in conclusion, I have to say that this question is far from being settled, and uh, the answer is probably mixed. A bit of resident cells and a bit of migrant cells. And uh, the open question remains, who does what? Exactly. So we see there's a lot of uh, actually interesting stuff to be analyzed in the future. Do you any plan any uh, upcoming research in this uh, area still? Yes, the opportunities of development of this team are very broad and we plan to pursue our study of the innate immune uh, system in the phenomena of fibrosis. Systemic sclerosis will remain our main study model, but we have others in, in the laboratory. We will focus our research on two main avenues, so that of macrophages, which I have not mentioned here, but um, which is another very interesting aspect of our research, and that of further work uh, on ILCs. As we said before, together it is important to explore the mechanisms at play in other organs, and in this field the study of the lung is next on the list for us. And then, on a more fundamental level, we are still exploring the mechanisms underlying the switch between subgroups of ILC2 and the role of THGF-beta in all this. Being able to transform natural prophybrotic ILC2 into inflammatory ILC2 
is an extremely interesting avenue for us to be able to reverse established fibrosis mechanisms. Very interesting outlook. So I'm looking forward to read more of these studies in a, in a couple of years. Any take-home messages for our listeners? Something to take on the way? Yes. So we did depict a, a new indirect mechanism by which TGF-beta could lead to fibrosis, as you mentioned. And I think it's very exciting in, uh, in the field of systemic sclerosis. And uh, the, the message at the end was in favor of therapeutic combination. Here it's the use of an antifibrotic drug such as pyrfenidone and uh, combined to IL-10. But you know that it's very up-to-date to combine treatments in systemic sclerosis. Yes. So, uh, we are very online with that. <laughs> exactly. You're exactly in, in time to do the combinational drug treatment in SSE. So thank you very much, uh, Magalhães. That was very interesting and gave us very nice insights on uh, innate lymphocytes, fibrosis, systemic sclerosis. Thanks a lot. Thank you. And if you are also like this podcast, if you want to hear more podcasts or read the article of Maria Lise or others, then just visit our webpage at rd.bmj.com or follow us on Twitter at rd underscore bmj and get the latest news on published research in rheumatology. And with this, I want to thank you very much for listening and have a lovely day. Thank you. Thank you.